God, my King, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open springs and brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day, yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Those are verses 12 through 17 of Psalm 74, which is the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, September the 15th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are... Um, we, we dropped back. We finished the book of Job yesterday in the sense that we covered the last 17 verses. Today, we back up and we go back to uh, chapter 28, and there's 28 verses of chapter 28 that we're going to look at today. They're, they're all pretty straightforward. They're very similar to the psalm that I just read for you. But then we're also going to look at the gospel according to John chapter 12, verses 27 to 36a, which is the first part of the verse, and then um, Acts 16, verses 25 to 40. So let's jump in on Job Surely there's a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the furthest limit, the ore in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it is turned up as fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires it has dust of gold and so what they're talking about it was just talking about is mining um and, and it's what the wisdom of god is is to know all these things and to have created all this that path no bird of prey knows and the falcon's eye has not seen it the proud beasts have not trodden it the lion has not passed over it Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings to light. So again, what we've got is is that man's manipulation of creation, because we've been given dominion over it, that, that man is a different creature from everything else because we, we apply things like tools, and we, we, we search things out. We, we look for things of value to us that have no value in the, um, in the animal kingdom, but they do have values to us. And then we manipulate nature, we manipulate God's creation uh, in order to make it serve us. And that's a lot of what, what's being discussed here. So we can do all those things, but where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? We, we can dig all these things out of the earth. We can know all these things about nature and, and about creation. But the reality is, where do we get wisdom and, and understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it's not found in the land of the living. It, those first things that we talked about that, that, that's here in this passage from Job, it, it talks about things that we find to be of value and have worth. And here, what, what he's saying is man doesn't know its worth. The, the understanding and wisdom, and it's not found in the land of the living. So in other words, we can't mine it out of the earth. We can't, we can't find it in that way. We've got to get it from the source of wisdom. The deep says it's not in me, and the sea says it's not in me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, its precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. 
the topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. I mean, it's as straightforward as it can be, right? From where, then, does wisdom come, and where's the place of understanding? It's hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and Death say we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure. When he made a decree for the rain and a way for the living to the lightning of the thunder. Then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So that passage, basically, to sum everything up is, is there's only one source for wisdom, and that's the Lord himself, the one who created all these things. And, and that was—I've I've spoken about this many times. Johannes Kepler, who was one of the—, the uh, one of the greatest scientists of all time it discovered that the planets moved in an elliptical pattern rather than a circular pattern and and multiple other things that that he discovered and he discovered them simply because he believed that there was a great intelligence behind all things and what what he said that his scientific endeavors were were nothing more than than thinking god's thoughts after him he believed that the universe was intelligible and predictable because the creator of the universe was both of those things. And so Kepler applied his Christian faith and the understanding that he got um, from that to the whole of his scientific studies. And it's exactly what we need to do. And if we would be better at everything we do, then we would set ourselves to go for wisdom in the same way that Solomon did when the Lord gave him an option to choose what he wanted as he began to serve as the king. He chose and said, I'd like wisdom. You know, and he said, because you didn't ask for that, for everything else, for wealth and everything else, then you get everything else thrown into the bargain. In the same way, Jesus says that if... We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all those other things will be added unto us. So in, in all you're getting, get wisdom and get understanding. And understanding is the application of wisdom. So that's the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. So the fear of the Lord gives you wisdom, and then what you do with it is turning away from evil, right? So that, that, that's understanding, so that's exactly what the, the point of that passage is, is that, that there's only one place to get wisdom, and so we should seek that with all our hearts. In the gospel today, Jesus has just spoken of uh, what's going on with the Greeks that come up and want to see him and says, now's the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. But then he follows that up with, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, but for this very purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. In other words, the, the, hour, the, the time for glorification has come, and, and now he's praying that, Father, save me from this hour, because he's spoken about, about a blade of grass uh, and all the things that have to happen, that, that, the, that his death is imminent, and, and we're certain, absolutely certain, nobody actually heard that as true, even though people knew that the Pharisees and, and the, the leaders of the people were looking for Jesus. So here, what he say, when he says, save me from this hour, 
that's certainly a, a monkey wrench thrown into the situation as far as the disciples are concerned about how do I understand what does it mean that he is about to be glorified, but at the same time he's asking God to, re, to, to keep him from this, to save him from this. He says, but no, but for this purpose I, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So my time has finally come. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered, which was a a common reaction to the voice of God speaking. And it's it's not always intelligible to everyone around. And, And even on Mount Sinai, a lot of it sounds like thunder to the people. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself, which is exactly what he told Nicodemus had to happen, that the Son of Man has to be lifted up. And here he's talking again about being lifted up from the earth. And I would have to bet that nobody thought that he was talking about going on to a cross. That was probably not what they were thinking when he said something about being lifted up here from the earth. But he's saying the judgment of the world has come and the ruler of this world will be cast out. So when, when we see that, then who is the ruler of this world? You know, it's Satan is the ruler of this world is Satan. So when Jesus says that, that this is the judgment on sin and death. And the ruler of the world is the one who has the key of death and who can, who can oversee that. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die, which is the being lifted up from the earth on the cross. So the crowd answered him, you've heard from the law, we have heard from the law, that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So they did, at some level, understand what he was saying here, but but they, they were confused, and they thought that, he was, that there were two different figures. We've assumed you were the Christ, the anointed one, the, the one who will sit on the throne of David. But now you're speaking about in, in ways of saying that you're going to die. And, and we know from our understanding that, that the Christ remains forever, so he doesn't die. So you must be speaking this son of man that you're referencing must be something completely different. So tell us who this Son of Man is that has to be lifted up. Jesus said to them, Light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and he hid himself from them. So we have Jesus speaking in, in what seems to be riddles to them. That, that he's talking about his glorification, and then says, you know, Lord, do I pray, Father, save me from this hour? You mean from the, from the hour of glorification? You're asking to be saved from that moment? And, and then to speak about the Son of Man, and who is this person? Who is the, we, we know who the Christ is, and we know that he remains forever. So who is the one who must be lifted up? This Son of Man. We assumed the Son of Man and the Christ were the same thing, but now we're confused about what you're saying. And so Jesus is using this metaphor again about darkness and light. And he he used it, remember, with the uh, disciples when he talked about going to Bethany to be with Mary Martha after Lazarus's death. And so he's using this metaphor to say, what is darkness and what is light? And, And they think they're walking in the light, 
and the Torah is the light of the world. Remember, I've told you that that within the uh, the holy place, not the holy of holies where the ark is, but but the holy place where the showbread is, where the the lampstands are, where the altar of incense is. In that place, there, there's a light. There's a win, the window in there is not there to let in light. It's there to let the light out from there, from the lampstands. So it's because that is the light that goes into the world and gives light to every man. And so Torah is considered light. Um, it's Jesus is talking now about the light, and he's talking about that when he says, um, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Now, they would have considered themselves to be sons of light because they were Jewish and because they had the Torah, and they would have considered themselves to be children of the light. And when Jesus speaks about the light only being with them for a little while longer, then the confusion would come in in saying, well, what does that mean? Are you taking away the Torah? Is God going to take away the Torah from the earth? No. Jesus is the Word. He is the, the, the living Word of God. He is the true light, John says, which enlightens every man. And so Jesus is, is only going to be there a little while longer. And so, so he, he says, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. And, and remember, John has said that darkness has never overtaken the light in that prologue. So the themes of the prologue play themselves out again and again, and here Jesus is using these words. John kind of summarized all this in that first 18 verses, the prologue to his gospel, and, and Jesus is, is bringing those themes out, and John is distilling those into the, sort of the Reader's Digest condensed version of everything else that he's going to say in his gospel. He condenses all that down into a, a, a brilliant, beautiful statement in the first 18 verses of the gospel. In the epistle today from, from uh, the Acts, remember yesterday Paul and Silas, uh, Paul had um, rebuked a spirit in a girl who was proclaiming that the um, these men are proclaiming to you about Jesus and he is the way of salvation. And so they, they, they he cast the demonic spirit that was giving that witness, he cast it out of the girl and the, the, her slave owners um, were upset because it was going to cost them money because they used to be able to use her for fun and profit for her prophetic abilities. And so then they had to whip up the crowd. Well, you know, hey, it's it's hurting our commercial activities is not the best way to whip up a crowd. So then it became a point of civic pride that these people are Jews and they're coming here and they're teaching us to us Romans. We who are Romans are, are being taught to to keep practices that, that are unlawful for us. And then everybody goes, yeah, right. And then they beat them with rods, and put them into prison. So at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now remember, Paul and Silas were put in the middle of the prison, in the center of it, not on the, not on the outskirts of it, but in the center, so it would be more difficult to escape. And then their legs were also shackled as well. So when the jailer woke and found the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that, that his prisoners had escaped. And why would he want to kill himself because of that? Well, because the punishment for, for his failure, dereliction of duty here would be that, that the Romans would kill him, and, and he could do it quickly, whereas they would take their time <laughs> and cause pain on the way. And so Paul, though, cries out with a loud voice, don't harm yourself, for we're all here. 
and the jailer called for lights, so you get people with candles and whatever, and rushed in, trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Which is the right question, but it's an odd question from this Philippian guy, because he's a Roman. He's not, he, he's not a Jew. So he, he, this way of salvation, where did he get that terminology? And, and the question in my mind is, had he heard that girl proclaiming that these men accurately tell you the way of salvation? So salvation is an odd term in so many ways. For him to be on his lips, to ask the question, what must I do to be saved, is an odd question. It had to have been provoked by having heard somebody talking about salvation before. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his whole family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So salvation has come to this jailer because of what had happened to Paul and Silas. So they made the most of the opportunity by, by sharing the gospel. But, but the only reason they got the opportunity to do that is because they were worshiping. They were singing hymns. After they'd been beaten with rods and put into prison, they're, they're now rejoicing and singing and everything flows out of that. But had Paul and Silas not been put into prison here, they wouldn't have seen the harvest of the Philippian jailer and his family. So God uses any circumstances we find ourselves in for his glory if we cooperate. I mean, all we have to do is be willing to cooperate wherever we are so that God can use us to bring other people to saving knowledge of his Son. When it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. Yeah, you know, on further, um, on further investigation, we found that these men weren't teaching anything at all like what these other guys were com- complaining about. They, they apparently got to the bottom of the issue and realized these guys were just lying in order to get Paul and Silas in prison. And the jailer reported these words of let these men go to Paul, saying the magistrates have sent to let you go, therefore come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison, do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. In other words, they broke the law because the law doesn't allow Roman citizens to be beaten without a trial. And there was no trial at all. There was a trial of public opinion based on a lie. That never happens in our day. <laughs> so the, the, Paul said, uh-uh, no, 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 they're not going to sweep this under the carpet. Mm-mm, nope, they've got to come and get us. They, they can't, they've got to take responsibility for their actions. They've got to take responsibility for their lawlessness of yesterday in beating us as Roman citizens. We had a right to a trial, and they denied us that right, passed judgment without any witnesses at all or without any sort of evidence being presented that we were doing the things we were accused of, and then they threw us into prison, and now they want to just say, hey, just just y'all go on? No, 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 Paul says that's not the way it's going to work. Uh-uh. No, he's willing to forgive them, 
but he's not willing. Now, this is important, right? So for them to to get that without taking responsibility for their actions. And, and one of the things that we always need to understand about the way that we forgive people. I mean, we can forgive people in our hearts and let them go from whatever they've done to us. But in order to extend that forgiveness to them requires them to take responsibility for what they've done. And that's something I think as Christians we need to be aware of, especially when we're talking about brothers sinning against us. We need, we need to, to hold one another responsible for the sins we commit against one another. Now, he, he talks of in a different way, obviously in the Sermon on the Mount, about when a wicked man does something to us, then, then we're supposed to, to go overboard in, in complying with the request that they make. So what we need to, to still, at the end of the day, we need to hold people accountable for what they've done. People need to take responsibility, because the more we take responsibility for what we do, the less likely we are to continue to transgress in that way. So here, Paul demands that they, under Roman law, that they take responsibility for what they've done. And it's not just for him, it's for everybody else going forward, because if you're starting a church there, now this controversy is going to continue. As these people begin to teach and they begin to live out their faith, then you're going to have a continuing controversy, and Paul wants to nip that in the bud to make sure that he's the only one who suffers in this way. So the police then reported his words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard they were Roman citizens. They didn't expect that. All they knew was they were Jews. That was exactly what the, the, the charge brought against them was. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. Did you hear that? They apologized, and then they asked them to leave the city. They couldn't demand it. They'd been accused of no actual crime that had been committed, and so they asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So he he complied with the request of the civil authorities, but only after he he required them to come and take responsibility for what they had done and apologize to him. And and then he complied with it, with their request, because that's all it is, is a request. They asked them to leave, but only after going back and seeing the brothers and seeing Lydia and and encouraging this nascent church to to take the next steps forward. And so now we've met the man of Macedonia, the Philippian jailer, the one who, who called and said, we need someone to come here. So now we have male leadership coming into that church as well, not just the women who gathered for prayer, but now there is the man of Macedonia who will become part of this new, newly formed church in Philippi.